All right. Well, the children are leaving with their leaders. We're going to forego the cornerstone today and let that be next month rather than today because today you're going to hear a wonderful testimony later from Kimberly. She had the children's message just now, and you'll hear that a bit later. I'll transfer the mic to her in the appropriate time. That'll be coming up after a while. But before we do that, let us have a little introduction. The last couple of weeks, in fact, the last five weeks, we've been dissecting the book of Jonah. We called it, you remember, a journey with Jonah. And among the different things that we discussed within the course of our journey with Jonah, we found the course in the very beginning of his rebellion and of his disobedience. And then we begin to see a little bit of a change that occurred in his life. You know, we had the storm and the great fish that swallowed him, later vomited him up on dry land. And then we began to see what looked like and seemingly was for Jonah a repentant heart that he had, in which he repented maybe from his disobedience and rebellion. And then the Lord gave him a second chance. And he listened to the Lord the second time as he spoke to Jonah. And then we see where Jonah began to be obedient to follow. He followed then the way he was supposed to always go to preach to the Ninevites. And as he then gave the word to the Ninevites, we've seen how they too began to be repentant and how they began to have the change in their life, which we would think make with Jonah very happy. But then we noticed his anger towards God for sparing the Ninevites. A lot of that was discussed in some detail last five weeks, much more even than what we had just quickly elaborated upon. But we came to conclusion, we borrowed the words of Worsby because it gave us a bit of an application even in the life of Jonah in the four chapters. Worsby again, his words said in chapter one, he, that's Jonah, learned the lesson of God's providence and patience that you cannot run away from God. In chapter 2, Jonah learned the lesson of God's pardon, that God forgives those who call upon him. In chapter 3, Jonah learned the lesson of God's power as he saw a whole city, even the king, you remember, humble itself before the Lord. In the fourth and final chapter, Jonah had to learn the lesson of God's pity, that God has compassion for lost sinners, even like those evil, ruthless Ninevites, and his servants, like all of us, including Jonah, must also have that same compassion. That's what we gathered from the journey with Jonah over the last five weeks. It was an interesting and intriguing journey, to say the least. Much insight was gleaned and gained from our journey with Jonah. However, as we make a bit of a transition from Jonah into today, I thought of a question last week in preparation for this morning. And the question then, leaving Jonah, preparing to today and transitioning was, where was the trust in the story? I mean, it's a bit of a rhetorical question I'm asking you, but where was the trust when it came to Jonah for God? I mean, did Jonah ever truly, in the story we know of him, dissected for five weeks, even heard as a child the story of Jonah, did Jonah ever truly display trust in God during any of that? I mean, maybe we, it's, it's embedded in there. But as we think about that, then we transition today away from Jonah, but still maybe lingering in our mind a little bit about Jonah because we need to have a message pertaining to trust. And the fact is this, everyone, Every one of us, regardless of what age we are, we place trust in something or someone. For example, when you walk into a building, whether it's a school, the church, any government building, even the arch in St. Louis, and maybe especially then, you're trusting the architect and the builders that when you walk in, it will not collapse on you. I mean, how many people been to the top of the arch in St. Louis? It's remarkable. You place a lot of trust in the people that built that when you go to the top. And it goes for so many different things. If you've ever traveled and went in an airplane, you trust a pilot you're going to get safely to your destination. For that matter, when I go every day to pick up those kids to school on that bus, 
They're trusting me. And that's a good trust, that I'm going to get them to school very safely. Later today, maybe when you leave here, you may go to a restaurant. You're placing trust in the people preparing your meal that you will not leave there with food poisoning. It goes further. We talked about Bill and others who've had surgery. Johnny had surgery. When you go to have surgery, you're trusting the surgeon, the anesthesiologist, the medical team that's assembled. You're trusting them that things will go well and accordingly. When it comes to money, everyone loves our money. But you're trusting a broker or for someone, when you put in a bank or invest into some sort of firm, you're trusting that your person that you put that money with will not lose that money but gain some for you. So, you know, we think about trust, a lot of applications become real. We place trust in a lot of people, and we don't even think about the fact that we're doing it. So we place trust in something or someone nearly every day. But in the area concerning to trust, the question really becomes this. In what or who do you fully trust in life? In what or who do you really place your trust in life? Because when things get bad, when things get difficult, when things get stressful, when things get absolutely ridiculous, scary, who do you trust? Now, some people just trust themselves. But the answer we're searching for this morning, as we start transitioning to a message pertaining to trust, the answer we're looking for of who or what do we trust truly the most is that as believers, as Christians, as followers of Christ, we place our trust simply in him, in the Lord. And that is precisely what a very brief text tells us today. We're going to turn to Proverbs chapter 3. It's two simple verses, verses actually that be well to commit to memory. So Proverbs chapter 3, we leap down to verses 5 and 6. You can stand with me if you're able to this morning. A very small, simple reading, only two verses in length. And again, the Proverbs we're reading from today tells us this in regards to trust. Very simply, it says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. Let's pray. Father, Lord, today we aim to hear your word. In whatever way it may come to us today, Lord, we recognize how we in life place trust in something. And so today, Lord, we want to recognize the thing we must place our trust in is in you. Inevitably, everything else, Lord, may ultimately fail us. But we can always place our trust in you. And you always provide and give us truly the hope we're looking for. When things become stressful, when things become difficult, when things become truly hard, there's one place for us to turn to, to have the hope we need, to carry us through a difficult time. And we can always place that trust and hope in you. So Lord, today, lead and guide and direct our time together. So we can recognize today there's one place to put our trust, and it's truly in you. So thank you for how you can, we can fully trust you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With the word today being emphasized, of course, is trust. So the word trust, I looked up some things pertaining to trust and I found the word trust or a form of the word trust, like trusted or trusting, appears 149 times in the Bible. 149 times throughout the Bible. Throughout all of it, 149 times some form of that word appears. Now, amazingly, I also found this, that nearly most, not all, but nearly most of all those occurrences of trust, 149 occur in the Old Testament. And this seemed odd to me that the Old Testament would have most of the occurrences of the word trust. So I dug a little deeper, and I found out that there are remarkably 
four of the 149 in the New Testament. And I thought that's a bit odd, but depending on the translation, here's what we find on the word trust in the New Testament. It's used two times in Luke's Gospel, one time in Philippians, and another time in Hebrews. Now, depending on your translation, you may find it also in the Gospel of John. But nonetheless, it's very it's mentioned very seldom in the New Testament. And I began to think, why was it so seldom used? I mean, it's got to be the same in the New Testament compared to the Old. I mean, trust is still there. Should we still trust in the Lord? Yes, absolutely. So I dug a little deeper and tried to find out why so few times does it occur in the New Testament. And this is what I found. That trust, our English word trust, is not actually a Greek word. Of course, the New Testament we know is written in Greek, and the word that we translate in English as trust in the Greek is pisteo, which means simply to have faith or believe. So then, for instance, when we say in our English language that we trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior, the Greek would read other differently and would put that as I believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If the word pisteo is believe, we convey it and translate it as trust. So as we find that seems to be the case, then that the Greek doesn't use the word trust, but pisteo meaning to have faith or believe, here's the thing. Even though it's not used as much, the word trust in the New Testament as compared throughout the rest of the Bible that does not diminish the fact that we need to place our trust in Jesus Christ alone. I mean, who better to place trust in? There's no one better to place trust in than Jesus. And the simple truth is that there's no one absolutely better in life in any realm of life to place trust in. I mean, people say they can trust their friends. I have the best friend. You can, I can know I can trust my very best friend. But they're still human people. Your best friend's still human, and ultimately, they may let you down. Other people say, I've, I've been married for 37 years. I know I can trust my wife or my husband. And that's great. You should have trust in your relationship with your spouse. But again, I tell you, that is not your best source. Your best source, when it pertains to trust, your best true source, your real source, can only be God. And you say, well, why would that be the case? I mean, I can put trust in everything you told me. I mean, I trust in all kinds of things, but why would God be the ultimate source for trust in my life? And the answer is because he and he alone has the power that no other person has. I mean, think about this. When you're in a difficult situation and you're looking for someone to trust that can provide you the hope that you desperately need at that moment, the only person that can answer that call for you is God. He alone, God alone has the power to help in a really difficult time. Which leads us then now to Kimberly. Kimberly approached me last week after all the messages you've been having pertaining to Jonah and some preceding even that. And said so the Spirit had been talking to her about sharing her testimony. As she and I talked, she began to tell me a portion of her testimony. And the very first thing that occurred to me as she was telling me a bit of her portion of her testimony, that we're going to hear more lengthy a portion today, is that she placed her trust in God. All kinds of things were happening to her and Tyler in their lives. And Kimberly said, I've got to place trust in something. And she placed her trust in God. So we're going to have her to come up, and she's going to tell us her story. But as she's telling us her story this morning, I want to ask, ask yourself this as you're listening to her. It's a powerful testimony. But ask yourself, am I like her then that, I am really placing my trust in God with everything in my life? Or am I beginning to really place trust more myself 
Am I really placing trust in God in my life? Be thinking about that this morning as she begins to give us her testimony. Now work with her just a moment. I'm going to transition and turn off the mic for just a little bit so she can wear the mic so you can hear her better and that it can be recorded for anybody to be listening after a while. Do you need? Okay. Now, this episode, let me tell you, it's not easy to come up and speak in front of people. So let me pray over her as she begins to give us her testimony. All right. We'll transition back to the microphone later. Let's pray, Father. Father, Lord, we we know you can speak to us in all different ways. Lord, today I pray for Kimberly as she's about to share her testimony and how she placed trust in you, Lord, in a difficult time, in a challenging time of her life. So, Lord, remove any nervousness now that she has, and just let us hear her word that she has, and allow the Spirit to infiltrate her, Lord, through her to us today, Lord, to hear what you want us to hear and to say. Let us heed these words, Lord, today. Lord, speak through her now, to us, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Um, now I have never done this ever. I don't talk in front of people, um, especially not about my life. I'm very shy. Um, though, you know, God help you when I get to know you because I've been told I never shut up. So you've been warned. So good luck with that. Um, you know, I just, you know, every day I get to live with and see a living, breathing miracle straight from God. It is truly amazing. It wakes me in the morning, and I tuck it in every night. And, you know, seeing this and living it every day, you know, how can I not just shout it from the rooftop and stop everyone and just shake you and say, look, look, see what a wonderful, merciful, loving God that we have. We truly do. And it's like Kurt said, it's been on my heart for a while. God's been nagging me and telling me that I need to share this and let people know. And, you know, reading Jonah and everything, I decided to skip the fish and do what he asked. And I'm going to go ahead and I'm just going to tell you. So, um, you know, growing up, my family never went to church. We didn't really pray much. Uh, We always did around the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter. Um, I knew of God, but I didn't know God. And uh, he, he wanted to fix that. So my story, my testimony, is about God bringing me home to his loving embrace. Now, I found out I was pregnant on August 2nd of 2015. Pretty excited. And uh, on August 3rd, I woke up to the worst nausea and vomiting of my life. And uh, it was pretty bad. But I was like, you know, it's morning sickness. What are you going to do? But it just got worse and worse over the next couple weeks. And I just thought it was normal. And then about the seven-week mark, I was on the phone with my mom. And in the middle of a sentence, I just threw up everywhere. And I was like, poor mom. She had to hear that. And she asked me. She's like, when's the last time you kept anything down? 
and I realized that I couldn't remember the last time I kept down a sip of water or food. Bless you. And uh, mom was like, you know, that's that's not normal. And I was like, well, it's morning sickness. And she's like, not that bad. Call your doctor. And I was like, well, you know, thank God for moms. So I did. <laughs> Never been pregnant before. I didn't know. So I did. And they were like, yeah, not normal. You need to come in today. And while there, I found out that I was dehydrated. And that is definitely not normal to throw up how much I was throwing up. So they sent me home with some medicine, some pills, try to help with the nausea so I could actually, you know, drink water and not dehydrate. And uh, that's very good in theory. But when you're very nauseous, can you keep stuff down? No. <laughs> I guess they didn't really think that through, bless their hearts. Um, and then two days later from that moment, I ended up in the ER because I could not stop throwing up. I was throwing up so hard that I chipped teeth in my mouth, I popped capillaries in my face and my neck, and I blew blood vessels in my eyes. Because when I would show up to the ER, they thought I was being abused. And they would have Tyler leave the room to ask me if there was abuse in the home. And I was like, look at him. <laughs> no offense, but you know, no. And finally, they witnessed it, me just throwing up. And they're like, gosh, you could hear me across town. It was loud, it was violent, and it was harsh. And that's when they, they realized I had a serious problem. And they, di they diagnosed me with hyperemesis gravidam. And I don't know if anyone has heard of that. So I typed, I looked it up, the actual uh, definition, so I'm going to read it to you because I did not memorize it. <laughs> I lived it, I didn't memorize it. A condition characterized by severe nausea, vomiting, weight loss, and electrolyte disturbance. Mild cases are treated with dietary changes, rest, and antacids. More severe cases often require a stay in the hospital so that the mother can receive fluids and nutrition through an intravenous line or an IV. And, you know, lucky me, I ended up having a very severe case of hyperemesis gravidarum, which is actually one in, like, so many hundreds of thousands. And then to keep it for the duration of your pregnancy is an even smaller chance. But once again... I did it, because if it can be done, I do it. I just want to say that. Now, I ended up being a regular in the ER over the next few weeks, and I was having fluids and uh, different kinds of nutrition through my IV, uh, because I was, I was malnourished pretty bad. And uh, I found out during this time that my body was starting to fail me. And uh, they told me multiple times, I needed to terminate my pregnancy if I wanted to live. That I was just too sick, my body was failing, terminate. If you want to make it, you want to be better, terminate, try again later. Like you can just get rid of a baby that easy, just so I don't feel that bad. They were also concerned that if I didn't terminate, I was going to throw up so hard that my placenta would detach anyway, killing my baby and possibly myself. So they were, they were really pushing me at this point. I had multiple people pushing. And I just said no, and I went ahead home, got my you know, fluids, went home. And then I started vomiting really bad again. And uh, so hard I couldn't catch my breath. It wouldn't stop. And I thought while I was in the bathroom on the floor that I was going to suffocate with how hard that I was just retching. It just wouldn't stop. I could feel the capillaries in my face just blowing. It was, it was very bad. And uh, I called my doctor, and they told me I needed to get to the hospital because not only was I vomiting until I couldn't stop, I was starting to have really bad pains in my abdomen, and they were worried that I was throwing myself into a miscarriage at this point. So I made a call, and I'm not going to tell you who it was out of respect for them because it was a low point for them, too. But um, they were really concerned, and they begged me to terminate my pregnancy. 
So it wasn't just my doctors. I had family and friends trying to get me to do this too. And uh, I said, no, <laughs> this is my baby. I'm not, it's not my baby's fault that my body is failing us both. Can't do that. It's not their fault. I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know why I'm defective, but I wasn't going to do it. And I hung up, and I hit my knees. And for the first time in my life, I fully submitted to God. Because I knew. I knew I couldn't do it. I had everybody telling me that, and I knew that. I didn't need, I didn't need a big neon sign pointing to me. And um, I told him that I needed him. I can't do this on my own. I don't have the strength. I don't have the power. I can't do this. If I wanted my baby, if I wanted him to live, if I wanted to live, I knew I needed God. And I gave it all to him. And then when I stood up and I left the house, it was truly in his hands. And from that moment on, and that's how it was. ER trips became routine. I had already said that. I ended up getting worse. <laughs> Can't believe it, but I did. I lost 20 pounds in a little less than two weeks from how much I was throwing up and not keeping anything down. Uh, I found out that most of my organs were not working at this point. When I went in for a checkup, I had a fever. It was pretty high, and they brought out, they did the little scan one, and they were like, maybe it's defective. So they got the little old-fashioned one. It looks like it was older than maybe John. No offense. <laughs> Sorry. And uh, stuck it in my mouth, and I was like, man, I hope that's clean. And then it took it forever. I was like, I'm going to suffocate. Yes, I can breathe through my nose, but I don't like to. And I was like, it's in there forever. And it took, and it was high. It was just as high as the new fancy one. And uh, they sent me straight from there, straight to the hospital, because they said, your body's trying to tell you something. And it was. I got over there, and I found out that my kidneys were failing. My bladder was failing. My thyroid was way off the charts. And my heart was not beating regularly because my potassium was so low. They told me that night that they knew I would lose my baby because my body was officially shutting down. And they came in every 15 minutes that night as they kept me to let me know that they were looking for a fetal heartbeat and that they were pretty sure they weren't going to find one during the night. They just knew. I had to receive potassium uh, potassium drip in my IV, and uh, if you've never had that, great. I pray you never do. It is uh, very painful. They tried to tell me that when it got started, and uh, at this point to get my IV started, uh, it took 16 sticks because my veins were so shot at this point, and an ultrasound machine so they could find a deep vein in my arm and they could get it started. And now that potassium, it was rough. And it actually ended up blowing my vein and starting to fill in my arm. So I had to push my little nurse call button, and they came in, and they managed to get another one started in my knuckles. And they weren't gone 10 minutes, and it blew, too. So that was two in one arm, and my arm was starting to swell and burn. It was very angry. So they came in, and they called a nurse, and his name was Bob, and... I thank God for Bob. He was a great stick, and he found one right in the side of my hand, and he got it started there. And, uh, boy, that hurt. And it hurt worse than the two before, and it was burning, and felt like it was just fire in my veins. And I said, is it supposed to hurt this bad? And he said, well, yeah. He goes, but, you know, your veins, up, your veins down here are really small. He goes, as it pumps and it gets up your arm, he goes, you should feel some relief. It won't be as bad. That'd be great, but no. I really felt like they were pumping lava through me. I felt like I was burning from the inside out. And every heartbeat that I had was just fanning the flames. I was like, they're cooking me from the inside. And then, wouldn't you know it, that vein blew too. And it hurt worse than the other two combined. And in that moment, I broke. I broke that night. I was alone in the hospital. I was in so much pain, more pain than I had been in in my life. And I broke. And I said, God, forgive me, but I can see at this point how death would be so much easier and so much better. And I felt terrible for feeling that way. I felt bad as I did it. No, I never wanted to terminate my baby, but I could see how just going to sleep and never waking up would be so much 
so much easier at that point. But uh, God, he's always there. And he sent me an angel in the form of the sweetest nurse. And she came in, she unhooked everything, and she held me while I cried, and she prayed with me. She stayed in there for probably about an hour, and she just prayed while I let it all out. She prayed for me, she prayed for my baby, she prayed that God continue to carry us through this. And I am so thankful for that. And then, you know, that moment, that's what showed me that he's always there, always. He's He's always there. He's always listening. He's ready to help you. And finally, I fell asleep that night. And now the next morning, my doctor came in, and she sat on the bed, and she looked at me, and she's like, Kim, you had a rough night. And I was like, yeah, I know. I was there. <laughs> Thanks. And uh, so I went ahead, and she said that we only have two options now. She said, and she was in the very first option she gave me was, you need to terminate your pregnancy. We need to talk about termination. There, talked about it. What's the second option? She's like, no, you, you need to listen. I said, oh, no, you need to listen. It's not an option. It hasn't been for three and a half months. Let's move on. What is my second option? And that's when she told me I could have a home health care service with nurses 24-7 on my phone. They come out. They start IVs at my home. But I also got something very nice, and it's a Zofrin pump. I don't know if you've seen those. They're kind of like um, if you've seen anyone with diabetes and they have that pump that controls like their insulin and stuff. I had one of those, but with Zofrin, which is an anti-nausea medicine. And since I couldn't keep anything down, they were trying to do it that way. And I said, sure. So they kept me that day, and they got everything, you know, stabilized as much as they could, and then they sent me home. And the day after that, they uh, they actually brought out, uh, the, it's called a Lear, and they're the home health service that I had, and a great nurse. So thankful for her. She was so nice. She, uh, she got my IV started. She walked me through everything. And then it came time for the pump, and I was a coward. I was uh, not looking forward to sticking myself in the abdomen. So uh, that was... She comforted me, and then she helped me do it, and it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. I don't know why I had built it up as this horrible thing, but we did it, and it was fine. And uh, now it it took a little bit to get the pump sorted out. It took a few weeks before we could get a, a good rate of uh, medicine being dispensed into my abdomen before I could actually see a difference in my nausea, but I was actually able to see a big difference. And um, I wasn't running to the ER every other day, so that was also very nice. Life became a bit easier during this time. Now, I still had trouble keeping food down, but I wasn't dehydrated as bad, which is good, because my veins were getting shot at this point, and they were thinking that I would need a pick line. And my uh, doctor wanted to avoid that because they get infected so bad, and she said the infection would go to my baby first and kill my baby. So that was what the prayers were, to avoid the pick line. And during all of this, we found out that we were having a boy. Hmm. It's exciting. But um, they told me he's really underweight, not where he should be. And that uh, his kidney was very enlarged. It was not draining. It was not emptying. And they're like, it's not functioning, and it's not good. And they had been watching it for a few weeks, and it was unchanged and actually starting to swell more and they said that if that was not fixed by the time I had him he would need surgery immediately after being born to try to fix that because it would his kidneys would both fail at that point it was too much strain and they were worried because he was so small and barely getting any nutrition since I couldn't keep anything down now I'm going to jump forward and five days after Christmas that year I woke up feeling just nasty. I didn't feel good. My abdomen was tight. It was hard. Um, I just didn't feel well. And I figured it was just from throwing up because I still did that. I still had waves of nausea. It wasn't as bad, but uh, still had trouble keeping a lot of things down. And um, my Alir, my home health care nurse, her name was Laura. She would call me three times a day, morning, noon, and night, just check on me, see if everything's going well. If I needed my pump, you know, they could change the rates and stuff. And uh, I told her I wasn't feeling good. 
and told her why. And she said, you know, that, that really doesn't sound good because it sounds like you might be having contractions. That's why your abdomen's so tight. So uh, I had to call my doctor. They said the same thing. Had to go up there. Now, at this point, my doctor's office, they kind of labeled me as difficult. <laughs> go figure, right? And uh, what makes this a little difficult, I've left out so far, is that my doctor, sweetest lady, I love her. She was pregnant when I first started seeing her, and she had a beautiful little boy. And then went on maternity leave for two months. So I didn't see her. <laughs> she was gone. And uh, no one in her office wanted me. I was too high risk. They held me away and just kind of passed me around. I never saw the same doctor twice in that office. They just, it was like hot potato. And I'm pretty sure they were all pulling straws or something in the back before I got there. But uh, I went in and they just put me in a little room, put a little thing on me to monitor, see if I was having contractions, and they split. And I stayed back there with Tyler for a little while. And uh, they finally came back in and they looked at it. And she seemed shocked. She actually froze. She ripped it off and she left. And I was like, mm, it's probably not good. And then uh, here she came back with like two other nurses. And uh, they were looking at it. They adjusted it, I guess, to make sure we weren't thumping it around or something. And they watched it. And I was having contractions. And they were pretty strong. So they sent me over to the hospital because they said, you're very at risk for preterm labor now. And I wasn't very far along. I think only 20-something weeks at this point, 22 or 23 weeks. And I had to stay all night in the hospital and the contractions were continuing. And they informed me that I had something called uterine irritability. My uterus was not happy. It was not a happy camper. And um, normally, it's just not something that is a bad thing or scary. Um, a lot of women actually have that. The problem is, is when it's continuous and it gets strong enough that it actually sends you into preterm labor. And as I was there that night, mine were just getting stronger. And they said that's not good because I was very high risk for preterm labor, especially with all my other issues that were already going on. So they gave me a shot in the back of my right arm. I can't remember what it's called, but it's to stop contractions. And uh, the first one failed, <laughs> go figure, at this point. So uh, they had to give me a second one in the back of my arm. And thank God that did the trick. They kept me a little longer to monitor, but the contractions had stopped. So after that, they sent me home, told me to stay in bed and uh, to avoid stress. Okay, I'll try. <sighs> Lots to worry about, but I'll try, guys. Over the next few months, months, the pump did help with the nausea and vomiting, and I was good. I stayed in bed. Tyler was great. He waited on me, brought me everything, and uh, really appreciate that. And uh, was finally able to go um, and avoid the pick line. I was finally able to up my fluids on my own, Jello, ice chips, teeny tiny sips of water. It brought it all back up, so that was really good. I got to avoid that. Um, I had a follow-up, and they checked on Daniel's kidney that had not been functioning for months, and they were very concerned about it. They checked it twice because it was 100% normal when I went that day. Amen. And he had gained two pounds in a handful of weeks. He was up to three pounds, and I was like, he's getting junky. Yes! Thank God, he's doing good. And my doctor, she sat there, and she was just in disbelief. She's finally back, had her baby, finally came back. And she just shook her head, and she goes, I don't know how you are still pregnant. How are you still here? And I, I didn't even have to think about it. I went, God. And she, she actually put her papers down, took my hand, and she said, yes. She goes, I fully believe that's the only reason you're still pregnant right now. She's like, because everything on the chart says you shouldn't be. And I was like, I have a great God. Now, over the next few weeks from this point, um, I started having issues with my blood pressure being very high. And um, it had been going on for a little bit, but they weren't really concerned with it. They said it's borderline high. Just stay in bed, drink water, take Tylenol. Relax. It'll be okay. Okay, guys. So I tried. I did what they told me. I took my Tylenol. I stayed in bed. I 
kept my fluids up. And uh, but my home health care service, they were great, you know, good champions. And they said it's still too high. And uh, they went round and round with my doctor at this point, and they had her sign off on a um, home health care blood pressure monitoring service along with everything else that I was on. And uh, the day that they came out, she, she stayed for an hour. She had to hook it all up because it would take and then send automatically to my nurses so they could see it. And she got it hooked up, and then she took it. And she's like, hmm. And then she took it again and again. And then she's like, it must be broke because <laughs> it was very high. So she took it the old-fashioned way, you know, where she listens, squeezes the thing. I don't know what it's called. I have no idea. But, you know, I'm talking about. That's what she used, and it was high. She goes, i got to make a phone call. I was like, okay. She called her supervisor, and she told them. I believe it was almost 160 over 110. Um, and they were not, they didn't like that because I'd been sitting for like over an hour while she was here. And uh, they said, she hung up, she came over, and she's like, you need to go to the hospital right now. She goes, I can call you an ambulance, or do you have someone to take you? I was like, I got Tyler. <laughs> He can take me. Poor guy was actually uh, working Aerotech, transitioning to Toyota at the time of all of this, and he was on nights, and he had very little sleep thanks to me. And I woke him up, had him take me to the hospital, and they kept me all day. And uh, they uh, monitored me, and they were like, yeah, that's pretty high. Finally, my doctor came in that night. She said that, uh, let's try to make it to next Tuesday. You'll be 38 weeks, and we'll talk about inducing you then, because every day that your baby gets to stay in is beneficial. Sounds good. Finally, they're taking it all seriously. Good. I'll, I'll wait. Went home, went to sleep. You know, God has other plans. I uh, woke up the next morning, took my blood pressure. All I did was open my eyes and set up, and it was like 165 over like 108. It was very high. My nurse, ring, ring, she called. She goes, what are you doing? I was like, woke up. I woke up, guys. I set up. I took it. I did good. And uh, she's like, it should not be that high. And she had me take it again while I was on the phone with her. And it came back equally as high. And uh, she's like, same thing. I'll call you an ambulance or you can have someone take you. I was like, hmm, Tyler. We got to go again. So uh, that time we did not. We did not take um, any of my bags. They always sent me home. So I didn't take the baby bag. I didn't take my bag. I was like, we'll be home. A few hours tops. So we went ahead in and uh, they monitored me all day. And uh, that's when they came in and uh, they're like, you know, you do have some high blood pressure. Let's talk about inducing you now. And I was like, wow, okay. One time I'm not prepared. And uh, so she was telling Tyler, get everything ready. And then she left. But then my doctor came back, and she told me that she was looking through my chart, and I had had a couple instances of high blood pressure earlier on during my pregnancy when I was really, really sick, and that um, maybe I had a pre-existing condition. And she wasn't really sure that I needed to be induced, maybe just monitored. And, uh, you know, but God, because while she was sitting there on the bed with me, my blood pressure machine took. And I had jumped up to almost 170 over 110. And she was like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Calm down. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to upset you. And she sat there, and she's like, you need to be induced now. She goes, your baby can make it two more weeks, but you won't. Not at this rate. So uh, they induced me. They were, they were going to do it. But before they could do that that night, they said they had to bring my blood pressure down and stabilize it before they could do that. And I also had to stop my pump cold, cold turkey. And, um, okay, fine. Tyler had to leave, get all my bags, because, like I said, I wasn't ready. So he had to go home and do that, and uh, my parents came up. And they sat with me while he was gone. And uh, they gave me a magnesium drip. They say that helps lower your blood pressure. But uh, the thing is, they lowered mine too fast. And when they did that, they almost stopped my heart. My blood pressure went from being almost 170 over 110 to being 74 over 44 in a 30-minute period. 
I felt like I was dying. I was talking to my parents, and then I sat up. I threw up all over myself, and I thought I was being drowned. I couldn't see. I couldn't hear. My chest hurt, and I could not breathe. My dad had to hold me down because I thought people were drowning me. I was out of it. I was disoriented, and my dad was like, I almost fell out and out of the bed and onto my stomach. I was thrashing around so bad. And then he said, I went limp and unresponsive. I turned so pale, and my lips turned blue. And by this point, Tyler finally came back from going and getting all of our stuff, and he walked in, and he's like, what happened? Because I looked like a corpse in bed. And my dad and my mom told him what had happened, and no nurses were coming. You could hear all the bells and whistles going off in the room, but nobody came. So he went out to the nurse's station, and he's like, there is something wrong with my wife. They were all laughing, and they're like, what? And he's like, something's wrong with my wife. And they looked up where the blaring noise was coming from, and they went, oh, no. And then they took off down the hall. And it took them a little while to actually bring my blood pressure back up because they had to bring it up kind of slow. They don't want to shock me anymore because when they do that that fast, you're at risk for strokes and seizures. So that was a pretty crazy start right there to the whole thing. But they did. They brought it, they brought it back up, and I slowly came to, and I felt like I had been hit by a semi. It, my chest hurt. That was a rough going right there. Now, finally, I get induced. And now I'm not going to tell you everything that they have to do to get you ready to break your water. But let me tell you, it was an ordeal. It really was. And uh, they got me on a Pitocin drip after they broke my water. And uh, they, I was like, I want an epidural. I'm going I'm to take it. It's been rough. I'm going to take it. And, uh, you know, it's me. Things don't go right. They stuck me three times in my spine, and it failed every single one. And I was like, I'm done. It hurts. I'm not going to be a pincushion anymore. Thanks, guys. Let's move on. And uh, so I gave up on it and went ahead on. And now I was on the, the Pitocin drip. And while I was laying there on that, feeling gross, because I stopped my pump. And uh, one of the things is that nausea comes back. So I threw up all over myself constantly. It's uh, not fun being in my room. Very messy. Um, but a bunch of nurses started coming in, and they were looking at the monitor. And uh, two stayed over there, and one went around me. She got this lovely oxygen mask. She came on. She put it on my face. And they stopped the drip because Daniel's heart rate was starting to slow down, and he was showing signs of distress. And they're like, can't be on that. And uh, that scared me, and I started having my own contractions that were pretty pow powerful. But the thing is, uh, I wasn't dilating like I should have been. My body wasn't ready, even though I had been having months of preterm labor symptoms and stuff. When it was time to actually go for it, it didn't want to. So go figure. But every time that I would throw up from my nausea, I would actually dilate a little bit. Throw up, dilate, throw up, dilate. So they didn't give me anything for the nausea because it was actually helping progress my labor. Now, I did this for 50 hours. And um, I knew something was wrong. And I told everybody, something's wrong. I know it. I feel it. And, um, you know, I never knew that such a small room can fill with so many people. They started paging people from every department. Departments I didn't know existed. Everyone was coming. And uh, I, could tell, I could tell stuff was wrong. They started upping my oxygen, and they were like, you need to stop pushing right now. They're like, you need to breathe for your child because you can hear his heart stopping. And they're like, take a deep breath, take a deep breath. And I, I would, but, you know, I'm also weak. I'm in and out of consciousness. But when I would take a deep breath, you could hear his heart rate start to come up. But as soon as I would let it out, you'd hear it go back down. And they're like, you need an emergency C-section. But it's too late. Because by the time they got me prepped, he would have been dead and they would have been racing to save me. So she said, the only thing we can do at this point is a VBAC or a vacuum assist. And I said, do it. Just just do it. And she said, well, I, it's not that easy. i got to tell you all the, all the stuff that can go wrong. 
And uh, so she went, she told me everything, every terrible, horrible, scary thing that can happen. And uh, But while she did, she was getting it hooked up, she was getting it ready. She already knew I had said do it. And she said, when, she, when it was ready, she stopped and she said, do I have your permission? And I said, save him. Yes. And she said, well, we've only got one chance to do this. And I'm going to need you to push with everything you have, but don't push until you feel your biggest contraction. And I said, okay. And when I did, I said, it's time. And I pushed with everything I had, and she used that little thing. <sighs> Daniel came into this world with the cord wrapped around his neck twice. He had been yo-yoing for over 20-something minutes. He was strangling every time I would bear down and push him. She had to flip him when she pulled him out, and the cord fell off once, and she had to hurry up and unwrap it again. They laid him on my stomach, and I was out of it. At this point, I was exhausted. I was in and out of consciousness. I didn't realize that this gray thing that they set on me was a baby. And then they took him, and they were gone. They shouted, clamper, clamper, because I was just bleeding. Gross, sorry. But I was. And uh, they took him, and he had no pulse. He was not breathing, and they did CPR on him. And I was in and out of it, but I heard them counting. But I didn't understand what they were counting, and as I came to, I realized they were counting down how long he had been down while they were doing CPR. One minute, two, three. And I looked at my mom. And she was just staring at them with tears pouring down her face. And uh, she said, all we can do is pray. Four minutes. And then we heard him cry. Let me tell you, that's the best sound in my life. But then uh, I started to bleed really bad, and the clamps weren't holding. So my doctor left him with the nurses, and she jumped back over to me to start helping me so I wasn't hemorrhaging, hemorrhaging. And uh, Daniel crashed again. And the nurses were panicking. They were trying to get him back. And they're like, where is that NICU cart? Where are they? And she's like, didn't you page them? Didn't you page them? They're like, they're paged, they're paged. And thank God my nurse, Marsha, she's like, I'm done. She grabbed him and she took off running. She met the NICU cart at the door, and as they were running down the hallway, she was laying a minute. I didn't see him for six hours. And when I did, he was alive. Mad as a hornet, those IVs and everything on him. Boy, and he let us know it. He was not happy. And now his pediatrician couldn't believe the next day that this was the baby he, res he had uh, resuscitated the night before. He was healthy. He was fine. He let everybody know what he thought about everything. We went home two days later. My son is strong because he has a strong God behind him. He is a living, breathing miracle. You know, he's just proof of God's grace, of his love. He carried us through it all, and he still does every day. I know that. I believe that. Daniel was down for almost five minutes, and then he crashed again. He is deficit-free. He is healthy. He's beautiful. Henri, stubborn. But he's perfect in my eyes. And every day, I just thank God for blessing us with him. I'm so thankful to be his mom. Daniel was born at 2.20 a.m. Easter morning, March 27, 2016, my 24th birthday. Doesn't that just say it all? Oh, God is so good. I got the best gift of my life next to Jesus. It's amazing. And there's one thing I didn't say, and I, I left it for the end on purpose. My grandpa, my grandpa didn't really care for God, had lost so much in his life, buried so many people, angry at God. And during all of this, he had called my mom one day, 
He said, I'm praying for them. I'm praying for them. He found God during this time. And when I would go visiting with Daniel, he told me all the time, that is a living miracle. He goes, I know God exists. He goes, because you have that. That is a living miracle. And when my grandpa died, he died being saved. Amen. Now, I can't imagine what anyone here is going through. I'm not even going to pretend to. I can't. But uh, I want you to know you're never alone. You have God. He's there. He's ready. He's waiting. He loves you. You're his children. He wants to help you. No matter how small, insignificant, silly it may seem, give it to him. Let him. Let him carry you. He loves you. I pray that you do. Thank you, guys. All right, go ahead and be seated for just a moment, just a couple of closing comments. I mean, isn't Kimberly wonderful? You can barely tell she's ever done that before. It's such a wonderful testimony. She does it so well. But think about this. I mean, as she was talking and explaining to you her incredible journey she had, I mean, Tyler was suffering through the same thing as well, obviously not the same way that Kimberly was. But just think about how easy it would have been during all that time just to give up. People were telling her, abort. I mean, it had been so easy for her to focus on the situation, the troubles happening, and say, God, or, or just say, there is no God. And just say, the advice I'm receiving from my friends, from a doctor, whoever, is telling me to abort. And this is the wisest thing to do in this moment. But she did not listen to them. She listened to the voice that spoke to her through the Spirit. She listened to God. But how easy it would have been for her to focus on all the troubles. But she chose, ultimately, she chose God. As I said to you earlier, she started giving me a portion, not just about of the testimony last Sunday. And when she began to tell me that, I immediately thought about how she just fully trusted God at that moment. And this morning then, God has a way, as Kimberly said, to work in just strange ways. He worked through her in strange ways. He does it in all of our lives. But this morning, I got a little devotion book I read every day. And for me, it was just like that little bit of confirmation if I needed it, that God wanted us to hear this today about trust. That you had this in the devotion. The devotion today for May 16th is called Troubles and Trust. And here's how it concludes. Because remember, she had been so easy for her to focus on her troubles, but she didn't. She chose God. And here's what it says at the end of this devotion. We cannot be troubled and trusting at the same time. Trusting God doesn't mean our troubles disappear. It means that we focus on him instead of what we can't solve or understand at that moment. I thought, man, that's perfect. I mean, I didn't know exactly everything Kimber was going to say, but I knew a portion of it, and I thought that's a perfect way for us to realize that we, every one of us in here is going to have troubles. But there's someone we got to place our hope and trust in, and that is God and God alone. I mean, the text tells us today, trust in the Lord with all your heart, do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Great verses to commit to memory. But Eugene Peterson offers a paraphrase called a message that even makes it maybe a little more clear. He says, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen, as Kimberly did, listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go, he's the one, the only one, who will keep you on track. Our question we started with today before Kimberly came up is, 
Do you really fully trust God? Do you really fully trust God? I mean, think about now your life. And have you given your entire life to him? I mean, have you submitted fully to God? Have you fully trusted his son, Jesus, who went to the cross, died for all of us? If you've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, perhaps your trust is placed there. But if you've never done so, isn't that indicative of the lack of the trust you have? In God? In hearing all this today, let us make the right choice. Let us today realize there's only one in which we fully place our trust, and that is in God. That is in Jesus. Father, Lord, we thank you for this message today and the wonderful testimony that Kimberly shared with us. Lord, it reminds us that we all have troubles in life. But as we have those troubles, there's one that we surrender to. There's one we recognize that provides all the hope, who has the power to make things happen. And in him, in you, God, we place our trust. I pray, Lord, you speak to us in whatever way through Kimberly today and through the message time to let us recognize we need to place our trust in you. And if we be one here now, Lord, who's never placed that trust in you to accept your son, let it be today. It happened with her grandpa, and it can happen here this morning. It can happen now. So thank you, Lord, for this message today and for all that you do for us. Thank you for the miracle of Daniel and for all the miracles you provide to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.